that's what keeps me going because as yeah. independent filmmakers you have to get to such a deep level of faith mm -hmm. like it was so easy to say screw it i'm giving yeah. up but you can't right welcome to the film fatals podcast featuring candid conversations with some of the world's premier feature film and television directors of all marginalized genders Today's chat will be with filmmakers and LGBTQIA advocates Kai Dickens and Fiona Dawson. Kai is known for her acclaimed documentaries that shift public policy and culture, such as Fish Out of Water and Left Behind. Kai received the Focus Award for Achievement in Directing and the Changemaker Award for Influencing Social Change Through Art and Film. Fiona is an award-winning director, producer, and writer, known for directing the Emmy-nominated Transgender at War and in Love, and co-directing the feature documentary Trans Military, which premiered at South by Southwest in 2018 and won the Best Feature Documentary Audience Award. We hope you enjoy their conversation about breaking the world's view of gender and sexuality. All right. Hey, Kai. Hi, how are you? It's good to finally meet you. <laughs> so how have you been doing? I know you just come off um, some shoots, right? Yeah, it's been busy. I'm grateful for it. It's been a nice, busy stretch here, and it's still kind of in the middle of it. But, you know, COVID was uh, a strange year, I think, for so many of us. So it's been good to be working with people again and getting those creative juices flowing. How about you? Yeah, it's been, it's been great. It's been very interesting <laughs> to put it mildly, like uh, as with everybody else, but I'm actually beginning to feel like my business plans are really beginning to pick up now. And I feel like I did a lot of hard work um, over the last year during COVID. I went through post-production and got a proof of concept out and and now I've got some other projects that are beginning to get picked up. So I feel like it's exciting time of the year, actually. I feel like I feel like yeah. things are about to blossom. So was that when you were working on all that stuff during COVID, was that for the the sex does not equal gender? So the sex does not equal gender is a two-minute animated explainer video on the difference between the word cisgender and transgender. Okay. That two minutes is actually inserted into the proof of concept of my unscripted TV series that I'm working on called Now with Fiona. So that sex isn't gender. <laughs> it's just one of like a whole library of different scripts that I've got written now to be able to create more of that. But yeah, it's all kind of related. And okay. Yeah. So what's the unscripted show about then? So the unscripted series titled Now with Fiona is a show that I host. It was actually inspired by Oprah Winfrey back in 2010. <laughs> uh, she was launching her own network and she had a competition to win your own show. Mm -hmm. And I realized if I could do anything with my life, it'd be to host my own show, but sharing positive stories of kindness and courage in the face of adversity, because news media so frequently focuses on how negative and tragic things are. And while that certainly exists, there's also positive, inspiring people that are doing amazing things to make the world better. So that's where I created up the concept with Now with Fiona moved from Houston to New York because I'm sure you can tell from my West Texas accent that you know yeah. <laughs> but I went to New York to develop that and ended up spending about seven years on a different project uh, which we can talk about another time like transmilitary um, and then 2019 went back into independent production with Now Fiona because I realized I just want to do this and we managed to film during 2019 went through post in 2020 during the pandemic and then the proof of concept just premiered at Gina Davis's Bentonville Film Festival. Oh, awesome. And we won the we won the jury award. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> I've heard wonderful yes. things about that festival. Just wonderful. Oh, it was incredible. And I see that they've actually got a partnership with Film Fatales. I think there's an event coming up. And um, they 
the people at that festival are just so genuine and warm and really walk in their talk when it comes to diversity and inclusion and it was just so empowering and of course you know coming out you know still in a covid environment but being able to connect with people in person and it was like small and intimate like great safety um, protocols but everybody was just so warm and welcoming it was amazing yeah where is it again it's in the south right yeah it's in arkansas that's right yeah yeah so in bensonville walmart headquarters yeah yeah it's uh, arkansas i mean there's also that hot springs dock fest down there arkansas is just killing it in the yeah <laughs> in the documentary festival world or a lot yeah, of the film yeah. festival world i guess yeah what's your experience been in arkansas and have you been to festivals there have you have you been yeah i've been to there? the hot springs festival and i loved it i mean i think they are just so passionate about documentaries and saying you know the same really warm reception and as far as engaging with the audience which i think was really cool like i yeah my first film was about homosexuality and the bible and it, it really debunks like the the verses that are used to condemn people and uses animation and stuff. And it was called fish out of water. And, and when that screened at, at the hot springs festival, a few people in the town pulled up with pickup trucks full of like these inflatable fish balloons or oh. they were, <laughs> and just like flooded the entire front of the theater with them. And there's all these like fish everywhere, just balloons yeah. and balls that were all looked like little fish. And I just was like, what is going on? It was so cute, but it was just these like men in pickup trucks who were really excited about the movie and basically brought decorations and nothing like that ever happened except for in Arkansas. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's incredible. I feel like oftentimes, you know, outside of the coast in places that have these stereotypes that, you know, are so negative and, you know, bigoted and so on and so forth. Actually, when you go down there, you uncover that that's really not what people are like or most people are like down there you know yeah I, I always love to pump up Texas and you know studies show that 70% of Texans believe that discrimination against LGBTQ people is wrong yeah and that's not what people not living in Texas would think but that's yeah. actually the truth so I think yeah I think it's great to go into these southern states yeah I think it's true and I think it's changed you know my wife's father was a Republican senator in like okay. rural Minnesota wow and he was always our biggest advocate and fan and would just be like you know marriage equality is a family value like you know, mm-hmm. if kids are growing up they need two moms two dads it's better it's better to have people you know, married and he would always spin these Uh, ideas about gender and sexuality into this like conservative framework and you know I'm pretty knownly to be like I'm very progressive but he was probably one of my closest friends in the world I love talking to him he passed during COVID but he was just the most amazing man and I think it's so interesting because nothing is such a monolith right that rural people are this way and conservative people are this way and progressives are this Mm -hmm. way and of course there's fringes that give people like stereotypes on every side but I don't think it's that simple usually not at all and Kai I'm so sorry to know that um he died during COVID yeah my heart is with you I you know I just released a short film that was about COVID in a different way and that was kind of fun you know there's a lot of um anyone that is like kind of following American politics probably knows that there was an infrastructure plan that was trying to be passed and it got separated into like roads and bridges and then the soft infrastructure, which is like caring for people, paid leave, paid sick leave, childcare, you know, all these other things that are so critical, but often not considered infrastructure. And so there was like a hundred plus groups that formed nonprofit groups that kind of came together to form this thing called paid leave for all. And I remember talking to them right around the end of the pandemic. And, you know, the kind of question mark was like, 
you know, my last feature was about paid leave in America. And they were like, how on earth now we have this pandemic and paid leave still isn't passed. And the whole world suddenly knows how important it is to have it. The problem with paid leave always is it affects everyone, but you don't think about it till you need it. Suddenly the whole world goes, so how do you get people to care until you're faced with a critical illness? You have to care for an aging loved one or you're having a baby or something. People don't think about how important paid leave is. Mm -hmm. Suddenly the whole world saw how important paid leave is to be able to take care of someone or yourself and stay home and still get paid and not have to, you know, choose between making a living and being healthy or taking care of someone and paid leave still wasn't passed. So we were like, how do we bring this to like a modern group and try to make a short film that can maybe rally Congress around passing the soft infrastructure. And so that was kind of interesting because I looked on TikTok and there's all these people who went viral during the pandemic because of their caregiving stories, like taking care of an aging parent or someone with Alzheimer's or suddenly they could, or they didn't want to put their loved one in like a home or, you know, something like that, or have a nurse come into their house because of COVID. Yeah. So yeah. The, the entire country, and I mean, that's happening all over the world, but people for once were like doing their caregiving on their own. Yeah. And a bunch of people became these viral TikTok sensations. So I just made a movie mm-hmm. about like those people. So I think that would be my closest, like COVID inspired project yeah. you know is it out for distribution yeah well so i just sent it to opdocs yesterday so fame please like i've been talking to them and we're hoping that opdocs will put it up there you know to yeah. have this more like broad conversation yeah. you know in the meantime yeah i've been like submitting yeah. it to short film fest but yeah. then we'll start doing like small screeners with elected officials and we'll probably do like yeah. a we're gonna do a screening at the capitol they have nice. like a capital theater and it's yeah even if you can just get their staff there it can help Yes. No, I I, I relate to that. What's the title of it? Time to care. Well, hashtag hashtag time to care. Okay. Now that's cool. Like my first feature, transmilitary, it screened at Capitol Hill, (gasps) and my first short was on the updocks. So was it really? Yes. (laughs) So I know we have a few things. What was that experience like for you? Like, did updocks? Do you feel like you got a lot more exposure due to it? Because it has such a uh, a thing. It it, like captures the imagination. I think of so many filmmakers, right? Completely. Like I arrived at updocks, and I think in an unconventional way. Like I'm openly bisexual, as everybody Mm -hmm. sees my name online might know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I had been advocating for the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell when I was Mm -hmm. living in Houston before moving to New York. And it wasn't until after repeal, which, by the way, this week we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Mm-hmm. It was in 2012 I came to realize that trans people were still banned in the military. I felt ashamed that I hadn't known that as an advocate and realized that no one was really telling their stories. So I already had friends who were trans and in the military. So I started just documenting their lives. Like there was one guy, Logan, who was deploying to Afghanistan and the ban was still in place. Like he could get discharged if people realized that he was assigned female at birth and yet he was being deployed to Afghanistan and everybody was seeing him and treating him as a male which he is you know gender is between your ears of course and so I just started filming him and that started like 2012 January 2015 I get contacted by a friend who's working at the New York Times saying hey we're going to do a series on transgender Americans we want to include the military where are you at with trans military we ended up actually getting commissioned by the Times to make the op doc and teamed up with my film partners um, Gabe Silverman and Jamie Coughlin um, of Side by Side Studios and the three of us made this short op doc Transgender All in Love so I was very lucky (laughs) but it just happened to be working on a topic that people weren't working on you know and I think that, that often happens I found in my experience is like what I'm doing is just a matter of universal timing that I have no control over but it's following my passion and what's in my heart and the story that I really want to tell 
and then the universe kind of conspires to help you to get there so oh for sure yeah. I mean I really I'm I'm a big believer in manifestation and yes. how all that works in fact yes. you know yesterday I was driving somewhere and I was like talking to the universe and I was like yeah. I have not forgotten about these two projects that you put into my brain I just mm -hmm. need the money like I just yeah. I just need the money but I will do it like I haven't forgotten and then I get home that night and it was like the first time I really was like universe listen you know um like in a long time that I, I got home that night and I'm like, you know, sitting in front of the TV, I opened my computer and I had got a text from someone yeah. and she was, she was like, I just talked, you know, to blank and blank at this production company. We want to fund in some of your projects. Can you meet on October 19th and let us know and bring some decks? And I was like, ah, and I, you know, I, it was just, I know. So now I'm like, which one do I, but it was total manifestation. Yes. I, I completely believe in that. And oh, Yes, you and me both. I every morning I meditate, I visualize, I say my affirmations, I journal, I read, and I do exercise. Yeah, and I would say I can't. Obviously, I can't say every single day, but I would say like ninety five percent of the days of the year. That's what I do. And like with Bentonville, it was really strange. Like my mm -hmm. my sister gave me a calendar at Christmas, and it was hand drawn. Her friend had made this calendar, and it was female actresses or characters in mainstream popular film and television and it's hand-drawn and it's unique and her friends had given it to her and for some reason my sister felt like I needed it so I had this calendar by the front door we had submitted to Bentonville and then I'd forgotten about it and I just let it go and then lo and behold we realized like we got the email ex um, being accepted to Gina Davis's festival and I was like beyond thrilled like I didn't mm -hmm. even imagine a festival release of Now with Fiona and 30 minutes later, I walked by the front door and who is Thelma and Louise? Gina Davis. I've been walking past Gina Davis every yeah. day of the month. And it just so yeah. happened. I think it was like June or whatever or July. And that was Gina Davis. And it's yeah. like true, isn't it? But you just put it out there and it comes yeah. to you. Yeah. Well, there, you know, this is like, I know we're going on a huge tangent, but I've become, Fine. there's a lot of like, <laughs> such fascinating podcasts about a lot of this stuff now. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know how I was late to this party, but have you read about the experiments they did with those random like number tickers, uh -uh. like the binary code that does one, zero, one, zero. They, I think the first one they put, I mean, it was in Stanford or somewhere out West where they had this machine, just random ticking out like a ticker, you know, piece of paper or whatever with ones and zeros. Yeah. And they would have people come in and put an intention with the, to the machine, a random machine that just randomly does it and be like, you will be, you know, I want you to type out more ones. I want you to type out more ones and it would do it. Wow. And then if they did it with zeros, it would do it. So then they were like, okay, so consciousness of what we're thinking, we can like control, we can impact this. And then they decided to put these machines, I think in like, I don't know, dozens of countries all over the world to see if they ever sync up. And they started doing the same thing like four hours, five hours before the 9-11 attacks. And then right at the minute the, the planes of the buildings, all of them were like kind of going bonkers. Wow. And they wow. also sync up like during the World Cup, during the tsunami in the, you know, I mean, just they just, which basically is like science being like, there is a universal consciousness of the world yes. knows exactly what's going to happen hours yes. before it happens and starts to react to it. Isn't that great? It's really <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting chills just listening to you say this. Do you recall the name of that podcast or like where I Well, find yeah, I think <laughs> I love this podcast. It's called <laughs> The Cosmos and You. Okay. There's tons of stuff like that. I mean, and basically they scientifically have, there's people working on the front lines of this area of science, really yeah, looking yeah. at energy and consciousness and how real it is. 
there was another study they did where random people would be, they, they were tracking the heart, uh, they, monitoring the heart. And when someone was looking to pull a photo, the scientist, the heart would yeah. start to react before the yeah. person even guessed what the photo w- was. And yeah. if the, and the heart would be reacting terrified because like somehow your heart knew that this random person was about to pull a scary, scary photo. And then the yeah. heart would calm down, but it was doing this before the photo was even chose. So it's like they were proving intuition in a way that like yeah. our heart yeah. is completely in sync with what's going on yeah. minutes yeah. before it even happens, which explain, I don't know. I'm just, I get to go on about this stuff forever. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on it. I mean, I, I said, we're all spiritual beings having a mm-hmm. human experience, aren't we? And, you know, we are yeah. universal and the connection. Part of my routine after meditating and doing my affirmations is a visualization and I have two songs that I listen to that goes through this so when I'm doing my affirmations I'm listening to this is me um, in the greatest showman and then the next song that mm-hmm. plays is defying gravity from wicked and yeah. um, so by the time like the first line you know it's time to close my eyes and leap and so by that time I'm sat there like with my legs crossed like I'm meditating hands rested on my knee eyes shut and I visualize the experience of like my book getting picked up, Oprah interviewing me, uh, for, I'm being on the favorite list of, you know, her favorite things. Yeah. Like now with Fiona getting picked up, being in production, meeting these incredible people, and then yeah. seeing it streaming on Netflix, and then receiving an email saying we've been nominated for an Emmy, and then yeah. putting on the shoes that I'm going to wear and seeing my dress and standing on the red carpet and looking at the, the yeah. camera, sitting in the seats. And so by the time of the, the crescendo of, Define gravity like whoever's announcing the award it's like no it's Fiona and I just like get chills and like I get up and I watch the stage and then by the time it's I start my acceptance speech with everyone deserves the chance to fly and some days like I get such chills and like I burst into tears and I'm crying and then like the fly on the wall must wonder what the hell I'm doing because I'm just sat there cross legs with my headphones on listening to Define Gravity like bawling but it's like, that's what keeps me going because as yeah. independent filmmakers, like you have to like get to such a deep level of faith mm-hmm. that you are going to manifest, right? And it is going to mm-hmm. happen. Like it would be so potentially easy to say, screw it, I'm giving yeah. up. You can't, right? To- no, I think, and I've been kind of on a journey just as a director. You know, when I think it's first you start, you start with passion projects that like you need to make or you'll explode for one reason or other. And so often it's about your story or something you okay. need to have seen. And like now I'm sort of like, you know, there's like more of a, the world is your oyster, like what story could be interesting. And I feel like the only way to truly like know, you know, the only compass you truly have is you have to like plug in to like where you fit and what the collective calling is and the consciousness right. of it all. And like, how you can serve it and and is that like muse of energy that's in the universe choosing you to tell it like is it just a good idea or is it like grabbing you and choosing you and i feel like becoming awake to so much of this and just that continuing creativity is almost necessary to endure (laughs) if you're directing you know yeah what would you like to manifest i don't know in your next let's say decade or however far you want to go but like what do you feel your calling is well there's this documentary i really want to make but it's going to be too boring if it's just a documentary is what i realized oh. so i have to couch it within a narrative and that's what is tricky for me right now is i've not i wrote a screenplay to come out that's how i came out to my dad and yeah like that yeah. was 20 years ago i have not written a screenplay since then and i need to write a screenplay to couch this documentary and I have the whole story, but I feel like, am I the one to write it or do I just need to find a really killer screenwriter to write it with me? 
And that's my big thing right now is like, how do I find this person? And because yeah. I know, you know, I know this project is, you know, when you just know that if you can just get it made, it's really going to be mm-hmm. wonderful mm-hmm. and unusual and people won't have seen something like it. So that's my thing I'm trying to manifest right now is like, am I mm-hmm. capable of writing a screenplay or am I supposed to work with someone to write this thing? And I don't know that answer. I don't, mm-hmm. you know. Can you tease with any hints of a story or is it better that you keep this to yourself for now? Because I totally respect that. <laughs> The you know, there's a, I'm sure, I don't know if you've read this book. There's a lot of really rich information. And there's this woman, Suzanne Seymard, who wrote a book called Finding the Mother Tree. And it was all about the fact that trees communicate and mm-hmm. take care of their young. And unlike the rest of us at Survival of the Fittest, there's, there really is like survival of the all. And that trees underground form this brain using mushrooms, oh. mycorrhizal fungi, <laughs> and they yeah. create a brain and they have synapses like we do and memories and they help each other and teach each other. And there's like a whole thing happening under the forest. And the mother mm. trees kind of are the big shepherds of a lot of this information. And in fact, if you cut one down, mm. the stump will like live to continue pushing out the information for sometimes years in order to wow. like and so making a documentary just about that fact has sort of been done in like an educational way and also is a little bit could be a little bit dry. So I want to couch this story in this world of loggers, like, and, and actually embed like my production team in a logging unit in Canada. And I have this whole like narrative romantic thing that's going on that goes along with a lot of the politics right now around saving yeah. the mother trees and yeah. logging. And, you know, cause it's like, we need trees, trees give us paper, they give us wood, they give us houses, they give us everything, but they also mm-hmm. give us oxygen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, <laughs> and they keep the, the, you know, carbon in the ground, like trees are so essential to live and to be used. Yeah. And so the documentary slash narrative is about that overall topic, but I'm trying yeah. to make it into this like interesting love story. There's like a trans element. There's all these things going on. Yeah. Some research I've been doing about generations of loggers and women trying to get into logging. Yeah. <gasps> so it's all here. I just have to find it. Yeah, and, it, and it will all come to fruition, won't it? It will all <laughs> yeah. like manifest and show up exactly when the yeah. universe thinks the right time is. Right. But you mentioned your dad and like the first um, narrative that you wrote, right, mm-hmm. um, was about coming out. Like, tell me more about that story and uh, how was your dad? Like, were you afraid of what he would say? Yeah, I was afraid to tell both my parents. I knew my mom would not be receptive at first. You know, I tried coming out to her in high school. I said, is there something, anything I could tell you that would make you disown me? And my mom said, yeah, I if you, that, you know, you were gay. And I was like, oh shit, you know? And so I, and my mom always was trying to like hyper feminize me and you have to be in a sorority and you have to blah, blah, blah. And your long hair is what makes you so beautiful. I mean, it was like that stuff all the time. And, and so I knew that my mom would not be okay. Um, so I thought I have to tell my dad first, but I thought, oh my, if I, if I lose my dad, I'm really fucked, you know? And at the time I was like kind of leaving a double life a little bit. Like I was going to Vanderbilt for school and on the summers I'd come home and I had my girlfriend and all my queer friends and I would, you know, be doing that. And, but then I wouldn't tell my parents and I was just like, oh, I'm going over to this person's house. And I just lied. I had a total double life. So then I wrote a screenplay about like someone dying in a car accident and then the parents like finding out she had this whole double life, you know, mm-hmm. and that was my way of, I, I had no intention of ever making the movie. It was like my way of being like, Hey dad, I'm, I want, I'm getting to movies and like, here's my first screenplay. What do you think? So I was like testing the water. So I gave that to him to test the waters and we met for a beer and I remember him being like, um, are you trying to tell me that you're gay? And if you are like, you know, cause I, maybe I see a lot of the same characteristics in your main character. And if you are, I want, you know, I love you. And I think it's wonderful. And there's not, and he's like, and actually he's like, I started crying at the thought that you would 
think that I wouldn't love you. He's like, that's my reaction. It was tears when I read this, that you would think you couldn't share this. And I was like, oh my God, yeah, I'm totally gay. <laughs> you know, and then it was like really easy. <laughs> and then he like called my girlfriend at the time. He's like, you know, let's have a coming out party. Can you bring a bunch of friends over and do this coming out party? And I'm like, dad, no one does that. That is totally not a thing. It's so stupid. Like hang up the phone. And then, um, but then he put a rainbow sticker on the back of his car. And at the time he was getting divorced from my mom. And so at the okay. firm where he was working, everyone thought that he was leaving my mom because he was gay. Because he put rainbow <laughs> everywhere. And all these lawyers that were in the closet were like meeting with him being like, Jake, I'm so glad that you're putting the rainbow flag on your car and you have rainbow flags on your office. And I finally feel like I'm not alone. So then he was like holding the secrets of this entire law firm. Everyone that was like married was coming out to him. <laughs> And, oh my um, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a thing. Anyway. And your uh, mom was okay as well? Yeah, it took her a minute, you know, and yeah. I think that now, yeah, like, once I got married and now I have two kids, small kids, yeah. and I, yeah. I think for some reason, like, that was her worry is, like, she wouldn't have grandkids and I would be, like, a wayward. And, I, you know, I'm certainly not saying marriage, kids, family are for everyone, but for some reason, like, I really wanted that for me and it made my mom really happy <laughs> yeah. so she's moving out to california to be near us instead of my oh, brother because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she finds you more fun to hang out with. so what yeah. about you you have a you have a relationship with your dad too right like, i do i do i love my relationship with my dad i mean he does irritate the shit out of me at times <laughs> but i love him very much and he loves me but i am bisexual i identify as bi mm -hmm. but i came out as lesbian when i was about 27 Mm -hmm. And um, I hadn't experienced any same gender attraction before, but it so it just kind of started to become apparent. Like it, it was like a switch that slowly clicked on. Hmm. And so I was not in an unhealthy relationship. I was married um, to, to my former husband and I already knew that that relationship needed to end. And then when I realized, oh, I'm gay, I came like flying out the closet as a lesbian. Um, and for the next seven years, I only really ever dated like female centered people. Back then, I was still talking very binary language. Like today, mm -hmm. I see a spectrum of gender. And then in 2012, I realized that the only reason I was turning down a date with a guy is because I'd labeled myself a lesbian. Whereas if mm -hmm. I was actually honest with myself, I was still attractive to these guys and mm -hmm. the girls and people in between. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, there's a B in LGBT. And in fact, like bi people are 54.6% of lesbian, gay and bi people. Like we are the majority. And tomorrow, quick plug for September 23rd, which is Bi Visibility Day. We're currently talking during bi week, which is kind of exciting. Um, and so that's when I was like, okay, I guess I'm bisexual. And I didn't know anyone who'd come out as bi, but I did know of all the stigma and the stereotype. And I was like terrified that all of my gay friends were going to say that I had been, you know, I wasn't gay enough anymore. Or like I'd been lying and cheating and make, you know, pretending to be a lesbian just to be cool <laughs> or part of the club. Whereas in fact, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, you're always seen as like, you're betraying the community when you come out mm -hmm. as bi in some ways. And yeah. thankfully that's changing. And like, another shout out to TikTok oh my gosh like I have not like got up my TikTok game but there are some incredible bisexual TikToks out there and I just really see it all emerging mm -hmm. which leads yeah to uh I've got my book coming out and it's called Are Bisexuals Just Greedy? <laughs> and, I love that title. And 20 other rather direct questions asked of the LGBTQ community and the title comes from my dad because I remember when I was a teenager, I was just sat there watching TV or something. And I have no idea what triggered this. But my dad said, I can understand men being gay. And I can understand women being lesbians. But I think bisexuals are just greedy. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and I never really thought anything of it. Um, but it always stuck with me because I did. It didn't even make me question my own orientation at that point. But mm-hmm. it stuck with me. So when I did eventually come out as bi, like we hear those kinds of things all the time. So I'm really wanting to break the binary of gender and sexuality and kind of like expose the fact that we've been put into these binary buckets of men do this and women mm. do that and yeah. the majority everyone's meant to be straight um yeah. and I like talking about, about callings like I know this is my calling and mm-hmm. I see and feel so many spiritual beings around me doing similar work and I feel like yeah. we can together kind of my mission in life is to decolonize the worldview of gender and sexuality and um my film work my tv show my animation and this book now as well are all part of that so I have a question for you because I yeah. like I remember I never identified with the word lesbian. Like I have had like three great loves in my life. One was a man. Yeah. And I dated men in college, but I also came out in college, you know, but it did feel like a real binary choice. And I remember uh-huh. when like the word queer, like I, when it really started sinking on me, I was like, oh, that's what I am. Yeah. But it was so interesting because I feel like so many people identify under the large umbrella of queer now than even bisexual. Mm-hmm. And it does make you wonder, like I was talking to a friend the other day and we're like, will bisexual just become like a term of the past at some point because queer head will replace it or people will be so like post this idea of like a binary choice. Right. So I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. And the other thing that I was talking about too with someone is like, I remember in my twenties, like there were, I had some friends that were like really identified as like butch lesbians and I was talking well, one of them has, you know, just passed actually. And I was saying like, mm-hmm. she's like the last butch lesbian I know because now so many people who have much more male energy and, and tend to want to express in a more masculine way often just transition. And so anyway, so we had a fun conversation about like, are butch lesbians going to become like a thing of the past? <laughs> I'm sure it won't. I mean, they'll always be. I some, know, but... which is why I think a lot of them are hanging on. You know, like... Yeah, I know. <laughs> I what, know. A wonderful, what a wonderful like identity and you know but it is like becoming uh, I feel like uh it is it, wonderful the, the world is so much more embracing that we're not yeah. anywhere near where we need to be yet of the trans spectrum anyway yeah. so what's, yeah. your, what's yeah. your thought on the word bisexual yeah. first yeah so first of all in writing this book it's kind of really got me thinking about these different layers and realizing that a lot of these structures came in during colonization. So before people like my white forebears went and conquered yeah. the world, like there was a spectrum of gender and sexuality already known and existing and thriving. So for example, like some of the earliest porn, <laughs> a cave paintings showing people having sexual relations with people of all different sex assigned at birth and or gender. Right. Oh, and awesome. so, like, there's, there's, like there's, the, the earliest porn is bisexual, if you wanted to find that. So yeah. I kind of, but of course, back then we didn't have language for that. And like, you'll know, like the film that you made about how proving that the Bible is not against homophobia. Like I've written about that in my book as well. So we're going to have to compare notes yeah, and right. realizing like the language did not exist. Like yeah, the language exactly. didn't exist for straight, let alone gay or lesbian right. or bi. Right. And so yeah. it's kind of like, we had to come up with these labels in order to be seen and heard and to find right. community and find a common ground to share our lived experience. But had we not been put into these binary buckets of gender and sexuality in the first place, maybe mm. these words wouldn't have been necessary. So right. for me, it's like, I feel that these words are important in order to be able to educate and find each other. And then maybe in the centuries to come, these words will fall away as we break the binary of gender and sexuality. And I also think that's what's really important, and this goes on to the conversation about losing all the butch lesbians, um, <laughs> is, is 
is defining the difference between sex, gender, and sexual orientation. They're very three distinct things, yeah? Mm -hmm. And so currently, you know, when a baby's born, we look at their genitals and we assume that that's going to be the same as their gender. But actually, all we're doing is looking at their sex tissue. We're not measuring hormones. We're not measuring chromosomes. Like, there are double-digit number of combinations of chromosomes. It's not just XX and XY. And so we can't discount the intersex community. Like, one in 100 Americans are intersex. They don't fall neatly into a male and female box. But all I'm talking about right now is just like body parts and sex. Gender is wired into our ears. And then, of course, sexual orientation, you know, is programmed throughout the body as well. And so it's like with the butch lesbians, again, as an example, like what we're doing is reading gender cues and assuming Mm -hmm. someone's sexual orientation based upon how they present their gender. But you Mm -hmm. could look at someone and think, oh, they're a butch lesbian, when in fact they could be. Um, a more masculine presenting cisgender straight woman like yeah like every time I go to Colorado I'm like oh look at all these lesbians and it's like ah, they're all straight right and it's like that you know we thankfully this is less said but you know that's right. so gay like that's not so gay then what you're really saying is there's a person presenting in a feminine fashion and we think they're a man. Like, right. nothing yes. to do with sexual orientation. Yeah, totally. You know, and trans people have existed since the beginning of time. Like, they've been documented before Jesus was written about in the Bible. Yeah. And so it's like, what we're thinking, like, oh, this is so new and exciting. It's not new. We just haven't been no, talking about it and new. seeing it. Like, we've been beaten down into yeah. submission. Right. as to how society expects you to be so I think it's more a matter of like it's changing society yeah. you know rather but it's than it's not changing back society. it's like we went on this yes. uh, journey yes. you know like I think about this is a really really terrible metaphor but um <laughs> like for a long time you know people had these delicious cocktails mixology was this, this like wonderful craft and then when prohibition happened, everyone started just being like, oh, we're going to have like gin and Coke. Like they had a, ter- they had a, or whatever, Jack oh, and Coke no, and this and that. No, they had no. to t- cover the taste, a screwdriver. These like, you know, very just sweet drinks that became the known drink because, but it started in prohibition because people were using super sweet drinks to cover how bad a lot of this like yeah. moonshine was tasting. And then all of a sudden in the past like 10 years, it's been like, oh, mixology. Like we've evolved this thing where it's like mixology is back and there's all these like wonderful flavors we can use and we don't have to be these, just these two things like a sugary drink and a hard drink. And it's like that, it's like we aren't evolving. Like we're going back to where we were in a way in terms no, of gender, gender sexual I, orientation. That is a fantastic analogy. I love it. Like analogy I use in the book to explain the difference between the word bisexual and pansexual, right? Because that's often mm-hmm. asked. I say that bisexual and pansexual sexual are basically non-identical twins Mm -hmm. and I use the analogy of cherries Mm -hmm. okay so bing cherries are the most common cherry that are used in cherry pie so let's say straight people only eat cherry pie with bing cherries they just really don't like any of the other cherries no offense against them they just don't want to consume cherry pie other than a bing cherry pie bisexual people they like bing cherry pie too but they like another cherry and some bi people like bing and one other some people like bing and more than one some people like bing and they've got no idea how many other cherries because they haven't tried them all but they simply don't want to limit their options mm-hmm. and then pansexual people are open to the possibility of eating any kind of cherry pie yeah. <laughs> love it. Um, i love it i love that and, and i think it's a great example and i was just thinking as you're talking about so i have a seven-year-old daughter 
Uh And my wife and I have, with every inch of our body, tried to raise both of our kids with every possibility as far as anything goes, you know, and and, and my daughter right now, she's very gender, you know, normative as far as as like pink and the tutus and the unicorn, you know, just all the things. And we're like, okay, we're leaning into whoever you are at every moment of your life. Let's do it. But yeah. we always inform her about stuff. And I, I just think this is a perfect example of like where kids are going. So the other day, and she was talking about something history. And I'm like, you know, history is a word that means his story. Right. And if you should probably, if you want, you can talk, especially if it's yours, about her story. And, yeah. you know, I'm only going to say her story for now on. That's not fair. That's that way. Okay. And then like yesterday, I pick her up from school and we're walking home. And she's like, why don't they just say they story? Because then it's inclusive. <gasps> For everyone. And it's not just his and her. And it's it's everyone who doesn't identify as male or female. And she's like, so yes. if someone asked me, I'm only gonna call say I'm I'm only gonna say they story. And That's I was amazing. like, fucking yeah. I mean, that yes. is like where yes. the kids are going. I mean, yes, yes we live, you know, yes. in Los Angeles County, but like, but her one of her best friends in Chicago is non-binary. And yes. you know, it's just the kids are gonna help us get there so faster yes. than no, you know, no, our parents we, always, we always used to use they them they them has been used for single pronouns like for hundreds and hundreds of years it's just again mm-hmm. like colonists that came in and decided everybody should just be his to make it easy on everybody and, yeah. and then we start to change that but i mean everything should be non-binary because then you're including everybody <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah, it's so cool like i feel like we could talk for ages but i know i know that uh, we'll have to wrap up soon and so i'd love to know like what would be your parting thoughts on the coming months and maybe year ahead? Like, what are you most excited about? Uh, I mean, I'm just, you know, I just think the only way to stay, just like to stay happy, to stay alive, to stay fresh, to stay young, like you always have to be like curious, right? And finding the next big adventure. Like I, I don't ever want to get stuck. And so I think that's the thing that's kind of interesting is I've always been, I'm a, a lover of nonfiction. I love telling documentary stories. I think it's so hard to like, take something that's real and try to make it exciting into a story versus like taking a script and turning it into a story. There's just a challenge I love there. But what's been interesting for me is realizing, oh, there's some stories that I want to tell that are richly informed by like nonfiction or information. But I think the best vehicle is to tell it through fiction. That is like yeah. a new thing my brain's doing. And so yeah. leaning into that adventure, not not feeling afraid to do that adventure yeah. Um, manifesting it and manifesting yeah. screenwriters into my life. Those are my, yeah. my big things <laughs> next. Uh, what about for you? Um, I'm going to manifest a distribution deal for now with Fiona. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I'm still talking about. And, and also, though, the, the book, I'm really thrilled. Like, I've never written a book before. I started out writing a memoir and it turned out into an explainer book. And I just, I'm so excited to be able to, like, have another creative baby you know, I, I don't I don't have human babies. <laughs> I have like film and yeah. now I've got a book. <laughs> and yeah. so I'm excited about the potential that the book has to break the binary of gender and sexuality and yeah. then also use that as a way to get the show picked up as well. So and just like manifesting all the dreams that I've had for over a decade to come true yeah. into fruition. Oh, so. I'm gonna help you with that energy. I'll manifest it for I you. I well. love that. I yeah. Love that. Yeah. So I hope we get to see each other in person. Yeah. Time. I'll be managing <laughs> up there for yeah. you. Thank you. And I'll be manifesting for you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's just with the book, though, really quick, because sometimes I think, man, you know, it's so hard and so expensive to make a documentary. You have to bring all these people. You have to bring crew. You have to do this. You have to edit it. And sometimes I'm like, why don't I just write a book? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, it, it's 
uh, how, so is that was that experience as fulfilling for you? Was it as like yeah, where, where yeah. were you limited? I know we have to go, but no, no, incredibly because I basically feel like what I've just done is written scripts that can be translated into animation and or a whole TV series. So I feel like I've just written an unscripted series <laughs> of content into a book, and it's just so satisfying that. You don't have to wait for funding. You don't have to wait for distributor. Like I'm hybrid publishing. So I have yeah. a publisher, Publish Your Purpose Press. I should definitely give them a shout. They're amazing. If anyone wants to write books, go to <laughs> um, but they, but it, it's just so liberating to be able to yeah. get what's in here and not be Ouch. restricted. Yeah, exactly. In the, in the things that we often face as independent filmmakers. So yeah, I love it. so good. Uh, we could keep talking for it. You need to part two. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Film Fatals podcast. Film Fatals is a nonprofit and talent discovery platform which supports a community of over a thousand feature filmmakers of all marginalized genders. We hope you enjoyed this in-depth look into Kai Dickens and Fiona Dawson's filmmaking experiences. A huge thank you to our podcast team. This episode was recorded by Annika Chavez and edited by Kate Ryan. We'll see you soon.